Hey Boomers, it's Ruth. Just wanted to take a moment to mention that the sound quality of this recording you're going to hear is not the best. We used Zoom, a platform you're probably familiar with by now, and it didn't turn out the way that we would like it to. So we're going to be looking for different ways to record from now on. In any case, thanks for listening, and here's the podcast. right now okay we're good hello you found us again on boomerangs this is ruth and this is mike and we are coming to you via the miracle of zoom we're sheltering in place we certainly are and i've had my struggles with sheltering in place oh my god it's been horrible <laughs> unexpectedly for me because i usually love solitude i know so what do you think the difference is just because it's enforced I think partly it's, part of it is that now I'm doing everything on Zoom. I've worked very, very hard to avoid any kind of video or anything online, including dating sites, anything that involves me looking at a picture of me. Call me self-centered. I've already been called anything you could tell me I am, but I have a problem with that. So I've put it off. But in this age, there's no choice. You have to go online. You have to do Zoom. And the truth is, you could shut down your video and only be heard. But something, maybe I've gotten better to the point that I just feel that for me, to do that right now would yeah. hold back my progress. For others, that might be a very appropriate choice. But for me, it would be holding me back to a place I'm comfortable in but doesn't serve me so well. So yeah. I'm forcing myself to turn that camera on. And sometimes I love what I see and sometimes I'm horrified. But it's too much, <laughs> it's too much stimulation of my isms, you know? I get it. I get it. I had a group therapy session where I made the mistake of hitting the speaker, something, where whatever it was, I, where my picture was the biggest picture. Oh, and, speaker mode. Yeah, which just... Never. I, immediately got off of that and went back to the gallery mode. Well, we're going to have to open this podcast up to about 20 more people because you and I now are on gallery mode, but because there's only two of us, my picture is gigantic and I'm having a terrible time. Oh, but I don't have a picture of myself. Do you have an option at the bottom that says show video or something like that? Oh, but I don't want to see myself. Oh, well, you don't have to. You can be seen by others, but you don't have to bother with the neurosis mm -hmm. of seeing yourself. There you are. Here I am. Now I see you. Do you see me? I was seeing you all along. Oh, oh. you're in you're in a very flattering shadow. It looks very good. <laughs> <laughs> Your hair looks fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, good. Are we done? <laughs> okay. My back over. No, I'm kidding. Well, I did want to check in with you. I mean, I know that you're struggling with the isolation. Yeah, a bit. Uh, like I was saying, I had a few really, really rough days where I just felt like I had been hit by a truck. I really did. I, I had no energy. I knew that I had to edit the podcast. I couldn't even face doing that. It was just, right. I couldn't do it. And then, then I just turned a corner. One day I woke up and I kind of went, well, that's it. I think one of my things is when I'm feeling lonely and isolated, I always imagine that the rest of the world is getting together and going to gastropubs and that all my friends are out having all, all right. kinds of it. And now that I know nobody else is and we're all in the same boat, Something about that is liberating to me. Oh, that's good. I was telling you, I felt kind of, I had an opposite uh, experience of that where I used to 
beg my boss to let me work from home for you know a day at a time. If I had a contractor coming to do work on my place or something, let me work from home. I can easily work from home. I have computers. I'm all set up. And they usually will let me do it. And I would do it. And I felt so wonderful working from home. But now everyone's working from home. And yeah. it's not fun anymore. I think that the joy was knowing that I'd gotten out of school, but everyone else still had to go. Now that everyone's in their pajamas, it's just not fun anymore. <laughs> well, I heard someone talk about how to cope with the whole lack of a schedule, lack of a structure. Right. I'm going to do it. It's like you get up, you take a shower, you put on your clothes, just as if you were going out. Oh, you know, yes. Yes. If you wear jewelry, wear jewelry. Don't right. be a slouch. I'm going to try to get out and get exercise every day. Yeah, that uh, does make a difference. Showering and starting the day like as though you were going to leave the house uh, works wonders. It makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And just having even the mildest kind of infrastructure in my day is very beneficial. In fact, I went to Blick and picked up some art supplies and I have some little art projects that I'm going to do. So that'll be good. There you go. Yeah, that's my, I've been doing my piano practicing and I noticed when I do it, I'm fine. I'm fine. There's no demons. You know, huh. for that 10 or 15 minutes, I'm good because I don't know, there's something about music and about being engaged in sight reading and practicing right. that stills all of the uh, bad voices. Well, speaking of demons, are you going, have you worked out anything with your therapist? She texted me. She says, we're going to, I think she's more reluctant than I am, but apparently the only way she can keep charging insurance for the visits I do with her is not only to go video, but to go through a special video video service that's, I guess, got some extra layers of protection on it that oh, Zoom yeah. by itself doesn't have. And I bought stock in that company too. It's called Teladoc. So um, I defy you, economy, to wipe out my savings. Yeah, but here's the good thing. Because I go to all these meetings for my 12-step world now on Zoom, I'm slowly getting over my aversion to seeing myself on on the camera. I mean, that sounds like a real... It's a win. You know, I don't feel like I'm there yet. It still brings on a lot of a lot of anxiety. In it. But now I feel like I have made a, at least a footstep in the right direction of confronting it and maybe walking through it. That's so, great. Yeah. It's that thing, you know, when people have phobias to things, become inured to them by exposure. Right. By, so maybe yep. that's what you're... Yeah. And it's similar to that cute little kid in the movie I talked about a few weeks ago about the brain, free oh. the brain. And the kid had a thing about elevators and uh -huh. they didn't force him into an elevator right away, but they helped him locate where the feeling in his body was when he got scared of the elevators. And they focused on that and they showed him that that will dissipate after a while. And by working with him that way and not shaming him for being afraid of elevators, they slowly got him to where he was willing to give it a try. And he, he wasn't totally comfortable. That's, the, that's why I'm so inspired. He wasn't totally comfortable, but he'd calmed down enough to at least try it. And uh -huh. I don't know. I feel like he was my way shower. That's great. I think that that sounds like an organic way to mm -hmm. the issue. Yep. Anyway, I wanted to tell you about this reality TV show that I've been watching. It's called Love is Blind. I'm okay. sure it's in your feed somewhere. I've probably seen the little tile for it. Yeah. It's an experiment, and they refer to it as the experiment. I think they start out with 20 or 25 men and the same number of women. And they're introduced to each other in these, what they're called pods, 
where there's a couch and there's throws and pillows, but there's a glass door between them and it obscures any kind of, I mean, they could stand up next to it with their face pressed against it and no image would come through on the other side. So it's mm-hmm. for both of them, neither can see each other. Right. They have the ability to talk to each other. They go through this over the course of, I think it's three days. Okay. And they are constantly shifting around, shifting around, looking for, if they're interested in a person, they try to get back to that person. Some people are interested in the same person. It's high drama. And what ends up happening is if the people connect and they decide that they are willing, usually it's a man, one time it was a woman, proposes to the woman without being able to see her. Wow. Time they see each other, the man has a bouquet of roses and a ring in a box. Oh my God. And they stand opposite each other and yeah. they're into each other at the same time. Oh my and for six couples, I don't know what happened to the rest of them or if these are the only six couples that coupled up, but the man immediately drops to one knee and proposes in person. The woman has the option to say no, but all of these six said yes. Do they see each other when, when he does the proposal? Yes, right. Okay, but that's the first time they see each other. That's the first time they see each other. Wow. And they're all attractive people. I mean, there's not a dud in the bunch. So depending on your taste, though, it may run towards someone who's different from the person you chose. Who's not your type. Right. And it's fascinating because from there, they all go probably someplace like Cancun. And they have these paradisical accommodations. Mm -hmm. It's just incredible. And so they finally get to sleep together. And some do, and some of them decide that they're going to wait. It's just so interesting. So they go from this place, they're there for, I think, six days, five days, and then they go and move in together in a neutral place. But all the couples are together at this same resort. (laughs) So they actually see each other. And some of the people who were interested in each other, but didn't couple up together, see each other for the time. And that's very interesting because some people are fine with it and other people are still attracted to the person that they almost got together with. Right. So then all the couples move into an apartment complex. So they're all basically living on top of each other. And I, I think that the individuals all came from the Atlanta area because they all seem to go back to their real homes and get stuff that they didn't have with them during the experiment or during the resort time. Right. So there they are all in their little apartments all on top of each other and still continuing to interact. And that's as far as I've gotten. I still have a few episodes to go, but it is really so bingeable. I'm telling you, the relationships run the gamut. Oh, 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 I'm sorry, I missed the best part. Three weeks from the time, or 19 days from the time that they get to this apartment, they're going to get married. Wow. So they've got to plan a wedding. Huh, that sounds wild. I'll check it out. I think I might not be able to relate to it at all because I've been so relationship averse. But I, I will I will take a look at it and see if it sparks joy. <laughs> think about this. What if you didn't have <laughs> you didn't have to be physically in front of somebody, but that you could get to know their essence and they could get to know your essence and you could fall in love without the physical being a, an issue between you? Well, but <laughs> then see the scenario that my disease writes for me in my head is when they see you it's going to be bad news. Oh, okay. And that okay. will be the end of the relationship. I hear you. So maybe it'll be good for me to watch that and see how that does not happen, or no. at least not so far. No, yeah. uh, except for one couple 
I would say that they're all very happy with each other. That's and pretty cool. Now, that's cool. I'll take, a, I'll take a look for sure. Well, I think you're ready for it. I do. You were, I think, going to talk about Sondheim. Is that right? Oh, because today's his birthday. Is today's I think it's today. Oh, wow. I think, well, Terry Gross yesterday said it was going to be tomorrow, so she must have meant today. Okay. Although I always thought it was the 25th, but it's, it's around here anyway. Yes, our guy is 90 years old. And, and Terry Gross played the interview with him from 10 years ago. And you know what was so cool about listening to that? He was 80 and he sounded 20. And he said, he says, I feel 18. He says, the only time I don't is when I look in the mirror. <laughs> he says, otherwise, I'm 18. And I, I was so happy to hear that. Remember we went to see him at the Hollywood Bowl? Yeah, yeah. He was so youthful then. Right. It's just in his 70s or 75 or something. And I don't know. I just, I love him so much. I love how he's really into precision, as you can tell if you listen to his music and his words. And so he would always correct her when she'd get a word wrong. It was great. So they're playing this big chord that comes at the end of the Epiphany song in Sweeney Todd. And she's great. And you can tell she loves him too. And she yeah. goes, now, I thought it was really interesting, she, she says, that that ended on such a discordant chord instead of a harmonic chord. And it kind of spoke to the state of mind of the character. And he goes, well, discordant is actually not the right word because discordant means it's unpleasant. And the word you're really looking for is dissonant. <laughs> you know, but it's not obnoxious. It's just like he needs yeah. the, he, need, he has a need for precision. And I, I love that about him. I just love it. With other, someone else, it could be annoying. Because he's, he's not, I mean, clearly, the man has an ego. Right. He's more like a teacher. In he way. definitely is. I, when I was younger and got to go to his place, he was showing me his townhouse. And he opened up this room that was kind of like a solarium before a patio. And it had all these spotted plants in it. And he turned on the lights. They were like track lights. And one of them burst when he turned them on. And it pinged around the room a little bit. And I remember he said, well, there's a light going big. Bing, bang, bomb, boom, bomb. He came out with like 16 words to kind of describe the sound that the light made because it blew up, you know. And I oh. thought, that, that's who this guy is. Well, he said he loves creating order from chaos. That's why he yes. puzzles. Order from chaos. But and, and it, about his young life, I forget who he studied with. Milton Babbitt. So I got a lesson in who he is. He said, oh, no, I, I was never interested in that. I just wanted to write war for theater, theater. songs for theater. And it's just, it's such an interesting thing because he has such an expansive mind. I mean, I was anticipating him saying, oh, yes, I explored that for years. But really, at the end of the day, I just decided that the theater needed me or something like that. But really, it was, he wanted to write songs. He liked theater because he liked the sense of connection between an yeah. audience and performer. He said, if I wasn't interested in that, I would have gone into concert music because there you don't have so much of a sense of relationship with the audience. Yeah, it was great. He admits to his, what you could call the narrowness of his interests. There's another way I've heard him years ago talk about that he loves New York. He loves living in New York. He's a New Yorker. He doesn't have a great interest in going all over the globe. But he, I know he has traveled a lot. And I know Hal Prince had a house in Mallorca and they, he used to go there for the summers. So he gets around and I think he teaches a lot of courses in London. But I like that about him too, that he, he kind of has his likes and he'll almost present himself as narrowly focused, but you can hardly call it narrow because he he sees so much in the fields that he does work in. Not only that, but the scope of the kinds of worlds that he's written about 
Pacific Overtures versus West Side Story. Yeah, it was interesting too to hear a little bit about his process, about how he waits for the book writer of the musical to at least put a scene or two out so yeah. he can get a sense of the voice of it and the, the tone of it and the way people talk, the way the characters speak and all of that. And I liked how he was very clear about his process and he had learned this from somebody at oh, that beautiful school up in Massachusetts, Williams College, that there's a method. It's not just sit at the piano and hope that the right. genius yeah. strikes, you know, that there's kind of a format. And he said that the only time you really wait for the muse is just to get a musical idea, a melodic idea. But uh -huh. once you've got that, a few notes, a little melodic idea or harmonic idea, then it's like there's process and work and rules involved for the way he writes anyway. I just love hearing him talk about what he loves to do. It's just infectiously joyful. The part that tickled me, which I'd heard before, but hearing it again, and then I, I listened, I thought that I had heard the entire bit that he'd done about how do you find words to match the words that you're ending your, your lines with. Oh, it's a rhyming dictionary. Yes. It's just a, it's a rhyming dictionary. That too, when I got to go to his house, when we got to the top floor in the bathroom, on the toilet, was a rhyming dictionary. And I was so crestfallen because I thought, oh no, it has to come from inspiration. But yeah. he, he has a very particular kind of dictionary that, that's vertical instead of horizontal. That's right. He's got those little obsessive things. Sometimes he'll talk about the pencils that he uses to make his notes. They're a special kind of pencil with a certain kind of lead and a certain softness to the lead. Not huh? too soft, but not too hard. So he's definitely kind of beautifully OCD in what he does. He's got yeah. his precise methods for how he does things. Do you think that he's limited as a person because of his work? I don't know. I, he seems to, like you said, about his interest in so many areas that he's written shows about, he doesn't seem parochial at all, really. He's just particular in his work process about how he does things. I, I wondered if it sort of bled into his relationships that he had maybe an intolerance. I mean, I know he's in a relationship now, but I think he wasn't for many decades. I don't know. He's private about that. And you notice when he gives interviews, they don't talk about that stuff. No. He doesn't. And I think that's on purpose. He doesn't like to go into that stuff. And there's no reason why he should Is have there to. acknowledge that there was someone in his life at some point? Yeah, yeah. It's been made public. But like when they interview him, he doesn't tend to go into that kind of stuff. Interesting. Anyway, I just think he's a delight. And I love how much he loves what he does. That's to me just so inspiring. And he's literally saved my life in college when he wrote, well, all of his music, but especially Losing My Mind, because I, I'd gone through that romantic obsession and he had this song that was all about it. And I thought, well, shit, if someone's written a song about it, I must not be the only one who's gone through this. And the yep. way he could describe the feelings with such precision, and I don't know how he does that. He's got a great sense of what human suffering feels like and he can articulate it. He's, I mean, I think about that he wrote songs for Maria, you know, right. songs for Sweeney Todd. He must be empathic to be able to place himself in those worlds. Yeah, although he'll be self-effacing or even self-critical about West Side Story because was, he was very young when he did it. And one of the things he says about the song America, he says it's a terrible lyric because it's got a lot of interior rhymes. And when you use interior rhymes, it's a sign that the character is very verbal and very cerebral and very intelligent. And he said to make Maria, who's fresh off the boat from Puerto Rico, go pretty and witty and gay, 
He said it made her sound like she would not be unwelcome in Noel Coward's living room. And he thought that didn't fit her character. I disagree. <laughs> I understand his reasoning, but it didn't in any way make me feel that the character was speaking... Falsely. Exactly. Pretty and yeah. would certainly be within her vocabulary. I appreciate that he feels that way, but I just don't agree. It's fun to hear what he's written that he doesn't feel so proud of, you know, or that he doesn't, that he thought could be better. I thought about his life, though, when I thought about being surrounded by Leonard Bernstein and Hal, yeah. Jerome Robbins. I mean, really, these were the greats of theater. Yeah, Lenny. He talks about Lenny. Lenny said this, and Lenny would always do that. Oh, and he said that nice thing. He said, Lenny always said, don't be afraid to fail, and don't be afraid to fail big. Lenny was never afraid to go way out on a limb and risk huge failure, you know, instead of playing it safe. That was great advice. I wish someone had said that to me. Yeah. Well, dear, dear Stephen. So happy birthday, Stephen, wherever you are. I thought as a birthday present, I might send him a copy of my parody of I'm Still Here called I'm Still Queer. But I can't tell for sure if it would if you, it would delight him or offend him. Another thing that happened when I went into his home many years ago was hanging on his wall in a frame was a parody of Send in the Clowns called Send in the Clams that someone had written. And he thought it was so cute and so clever and so funny that he not only liked it, but he framed it and hung it on his wall. So oh. I know that he's not uh, afraid of a parody. He, I would hope if he read my parody, he would take it as a compliment. And hang you on his wall. And hang me on his wall. <laughs> well, I think that's all I have to catch up with you on. I guess it's time to say goodbye to the boomers. We could. I did have a new Nordic Noir I've been watching. Should I tell you about it or should we save it for next week? Well, we can do either. We'll see how the length goes. And if we have time, we'll include it. And if we don't, we'll put it on. You know what? Let's, let's wait till next week because now I will have watched a few more episodes and I'll be better equipped. Okay. I'll know if it's a dream or a dud. <laughs> Is that from Mystery Day? Yes, you got it. I can't believe it. That was really good recall. Holy smokes. Huge impression on me. That's amazing. Well, we think alike. Too, hey, too and you know, that's a good ending because mystery date is kind of a metaphor for love is blind. Oh, so true. We have symmetry tonight. And we hardly ever have symmetry. <laughs> well, I think that's going to be it for us. That's boomers. it for us. Bye, boomers. Bye, boomers. See you soon. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.